Thanks very much. Uh, I feel much more comfortable down here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's more like a classroom, and it uh, gives me more, more room to move. One of the things about working with middle schoolers is that I've learned that it's harder to hit a moving target. So <laughs> I wish I would have known that in Vietnam. I might not have got hit three times, but it is a real blessing to be able to be here with you. And I wanted to talk to you today about my journey, just one soldier's journey. And uh, I don't know what your journey is like, but, and I don't know if, how many of those wow moments you've had. You know, but there are those moments when you just say, wow, how did I end up here? You know, this isn't what I expected. You know, you must have the wrong person, God. You know, I, um, sometimes those unexpected moments are good. Sometimes they're not so, not so good. But I want to share my journey with you and share with you two particular moments that have had lasting impressions on me. Um... We're here to celebrate at a time when our nation uh, was first founded, when individuals made a tremendous commitment to freedom, when individuals gave all that they were, all that they had, to the freedom of this country. And as you look back on the history, you can't look at our history without seeing the hand of God and the protection of God and the blessings of God and how God worked in the lives of the men and women who first founded this country. And just as you can't look at the history of our country without acknowledging the grace of God, I can't tell you my story without acknowledging the grace of God in my life. Although it didn't start out that way, and that's why sometimes I'm amazed where I've ended up now, because as I'll tell you later, I started out in a cave living in New Hampshire. I lived in a cave for two years upon returning from Vietnam because I didn't know what had happened to me in Vietnam. So to end up at some of the places that I have been blessed to end up, it's been a wow moment, you know. How did I get here? But let me tell you a story that will really illustrate what my journey has been like. See, my wife, who travels, usually travels with me, but she's a cancer survivor and finds it more difficult to travel. So she's not here, but she used to travel with me all the time. And there was this one time we were supposed to be going to Altoona, Pennsylvania. And this was before GPSs. And I didn't even know there was an Altoona PA. I never heard of it before. But uh, I said, I'll get a map. And my wife said, well, why don't you use MapQuest? I don't know if anybody uses MapQuest anymore, but you used to be able to type in starting point, ending point, and you'd come up with these very detailed directions how to get to where you wanted to go, which is great. So I did, I typed in and I took a look at it and I sat in a table and we got packing and the next day we left and we're driving and uh, we lived in New York. I knew Pennsylvania was south so I just started heading south and after a while my wife, she said, "Um, you're not looking at the directions. And I said, yeah, I know, I know. And she, so I kept on driving and she said, "Uh, how come you're not looking at the directions, Gary? I said, I don't need them. And she said, you forgot him, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, hon. After 40 years of marriage, you, think, you know, your spouses know things just by looks. And my look said, I forgot him. And she said, well, you better stop and ask for directions. 
And I said, what? <laughs> I'm a green beret. I don't need directions. <laughs> Any of you guys identify with that? You know, you're not green, maybe not green berets, but you know, to stop and ask for directions? <sighs> hey, I made it through the jungles. I made it through Vietnam. I can find Altoona, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania South, we'll just head south. And she goes, Gary, please stop and ask for directions. Well, I don't know whether it was pride or my un unwillingness to give up control of my life to somebody else, whatever it was, but I just flatly said, no way. So it was a very long and quiet ride. <clears throat> Fortunately, even, you know, God is good. There was, there was a GPS back then, but it was called God positioning system. You know, God just gave me a sense of going south and going south. Eventually, I, I did see a sign that said Altoona, Pennsylvania, which I thought was amazing. And I kind of looked over and I kind of gave one of these smiles like, <laughs> I told you to trust me, hon. You see, because I was, I was telling her, I got the vision, hon. I've got the vision here. I looked at the map. Trust me, follow me with my vision. I'll get you there. I'm a green beret. And, but she wasn't buying it, you know. So when I saw that sign, I said, my chance. So I gave her one of those looks, gloating a little bit. She didn't acknowledge it, you know, she just said, okay, where's the Marriott Hotel, Gary? Because uh, we were supposed to be staying at the Marriott. And I said, Altoona, PA, how big can that be? You know, we'll easily find the Marriott. And she said, please stop and ask directions. I just said, hon, trust me, I will get you there. Well, we finally saw a sign as we were driving on the expressway for the Marriott. You know, one of those big road signs. And I said, see, no problem, hon. And again, no response from her because she's lived with me for 40 years, you know. She's just waiting for the big, you know, the big surprise. And uh, so I, I got off the exit. But as we got off the exit, the Marriott sign kept getting further and further away. So finally, she said, please, Gary, it's been a long ride. Stop and ask for directions. And one more, I didn't even bother answering this time because she knew the answer. There was no way I was going to stop. But finally, after going the wrong way on a one-way street, uh, <laughs> I finally said, maybe I'll stop and ask for some directions. And all the while, I kept this sign in my view. It's just that I couldn't get there. You know? So I stopped at a gas station, and I, I said, see that sign? I want to get there. So the guy gave me some directions, and he uh, said, you know, give me a series of right and left turns. And, be careful of one-way streets, those kinds of things. So I'm finally making my right and left-hand turns, and we get to the final turn, and we can see that this is going to bring us to the sign. And I'm just, um, so I'm kind of half-gloating, because I still felt that I had accomplished my mission. I got her there, even though I had to ask for directions. And uh, we were both anticipating going to that Marriott Hotel, and just like the commercial, throwing yourselves on the bed and relaxing, you know. And so we pull in at the end of the street, pull into the parking lot of the Marriott sign, and uh, things got very, very quiet again. I pulled up to the sign, put the car in park, and I just didn't even want to look. Didn't want to look at her, because I could see her expression, what it was going to be like. But finally, she broke the silence with these words. She said, Gary, I hate it when you act like you know something when you really don't know it. See, there was no hotel there. It was just a Marriott sign. <laughs> the hotel had moved. 
Ever have any of those moments? You know, wow, how did I get here? This is not what I expected. Yeah, my life's been like that at times. There's an old English poem called Invictus. And Invictus means unconquered. And it's a beautiful poem about the human spirit, the power of the human spirit. And the last two lines of that poem says, I am master of my fate. I am captain of my soul. And that was a quote made famous by Winston Churchill. And it is a beautiful poem about the power of the human spirit. And at the start of my journey, those could have been my verses. You know, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I'm a green beret. But there's a verse in the Proverbs that gives warning to those who are captains of their souls. It says there's a way that seems right. But the end is death. I didn't know that at the start of my journey. You see, I had a master plan. I was captain of my fate. I thought I was on a great, great plan. I had this vision. I was going to become a Green Beret, and I was going to go to Vietnam, and I was going to, at 24 years old, I was a medic. I was responsible for 2,300 Vietnamese people that lived in the jungles. I delivered babies. I could not have asked for more responsibility and greater accomplishments and achievements. Achieving the Green Beret, I was a professional soldier. I had found my niche in life. This is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And being a Green Beret, it was built on the success of the skills that you needed, resourcefulness, your courage, your strength, all those things that would enable you to be the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. That's what got me to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, what a beautiful, beautiful place that was. There are people who pay thousands of dollars to go on vacations in Vietnam. I got paid 300 bucks a month to be there, you know. If it weren't for the tigers and the snakes and the occasional firefights, it wasn't a bad place back in the 60s. But it is a beautiful, beautiful country. I was master of my fate, the captain of my soul. I thought I had achieved my dream. This was my Shangri-La. I could not ask for a better life. This is what I wanted life to be. This is what I wanted my life to be. This is what I wanted to be doing with my life. My ship had come in, and I was enjoying life. But there was a sign in our camp that used to bother me. Because I thought I was living. I thought I was living the life of a dream. But this sign said, to really live, you must almost die. To those that fight for it, life has a meaning that the protected will never know. The first time I read that sign, boy, it just hit me right here and stayed here. I couldn't get it out of my head. But I said, eh, I don't know what it means, really. Because I'm living. So what do you mean, to really live, I must almost die? Well, that began my journey, because I was about to find out what it meant to really live. And life was going to take on a very, very new meaning. And my wake-up call came on April 1st, 1970, when our camp was surrounded by 10,000 North Vietnamese. We were surrounded by thir- for 30 days. Our camp was overrun. We called in B-52 strikes. We called in gunships. And we just said, fire for effect, fire for effect. 
That means anything that's moving, just kill it. Because we thought we were going to die anyhow, and we wanted to take as many as we could with us. Well, it was another one of those times like when I said, my gosh, how did I end up here? This isn't what I expected. You know, and people, they'll, they'll hear about that battle and they'll say, wow, what happened to you during the battle? What was it like to get shot three times? What was it like to be in that hand-to-hand combat? That must have been a terrible experience. Huh? They kind of were shocked at my response because I'd say, piece of cake. That was not the worst battle I was ever in. The worst battle I was in occurred about eight days later when I was in a hospital bed in Pleiku. And I woke up and I began to do battle with trying to stay conscious. Do you know what it's like to try to stay conscious and not be able to control that and then passing out? Now, I had been unconscious a number of times in college before, but that was different than this. <laughs> there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says, there's no man that can control the wind. He can't control the spirit. Neither can he control his own spirit on the day of his death. And there's no discharge in that war. That's a war, that's a battle that we all fight. And what I was doing was I was re- beginning to realize that I was engaged in that battle. I was battling death. And that was scary. It was then that I began to remember a little bit about that. To really live, you must almost die. To those that fight for it, life will have a meaning the protected will never know. There's a quote by Elizabeth Elliot. It means quite a bit to me. She wrote that it is God to whom and with whom we travel on our journey. We travel to God and we travel with him. It is God to whom and with whom we travel. And while he is the end of the journey, he is also at every stopping place. He is at those rest areas those places where we can get refreshed, refocused. We kind of check our progress. And sometimes we use success as a check mark of, am I on the right path? If I'm achieving success, that must mean I'm going in the right direction. And with all the achievements that I had had, with all the successes, I thought that I was going in the right direction. But it's God to whom we travel. And he's at the end of the journey. I want to share with you now two thoughts, two conversations that I had at resting places on my journey. These were times where I had the opportunity to do some serious thinking. I had the opportunity to have some serious conversations with myself and with God. That hospital bed was the first rest stop. It was a time when I have to say, what is happening? And what came to me, and what I believe God was telling me during this time, was that, Gary, life is going to take on a new meaning to you because you're almost dying, and to really live, you must almost die. 
Life has a meaning to those who fight for it. And here's what I want you to know. In life, what happens in you is more important than what happens to you, Gary. What happens in you is much more important than what happens to you. People always want to know what happened to you in the battle. And I tell them that's not important. What was important to me during that battle, what was happening in me. What was happening in me in that hospital bed was more important than what happened to me out on the battlefield. You see, because what was happening in me in that hospital bed was I was engaged in a battle to the death. I was engaged in a hand-to-hand combat with death. And I've been trained in hand-to-hand combat. But I had not been trained to battle death. I didn't know how to battle death. So what I brought to that battle with death was all the things that had brought me success, all the things that had made me the captain of my soul and the master of my fate. I brought with me all those things, those characteristics, determination, resiliency, resourcefulness, strength, a can-do spirit, a will to succeed. I brought all those things to do battle with death in the (laughs) hand-to-hand. I could just imagine death just kind of laughing. It's not going to work. And I learned very, very quickly that death easily defeated all those attempts on my part to avoid death. I was battling death and I was going to lose. So I began to learn that what was happening in me was much greater than what happened to me. And what was happening in me? I was losing confidence in me. I was losing confidence in who I was. I was losing confidence in my ability to handle life. And more importantly, in my ability to handle death. I couldn't do it on my own. I was losing confidence in self. What happens in you is more important than what happens to you. What was happening in me? Self was dying. I was learning that I could not trust myself anymore. I was learning that I needed something greater outside of myself. I needed something greater than fear that I was feeling. I needed something that was greater than death. I needed something that could help me in this hand-to-hand combat with death because I was going to lose. To those who fight for it, life has a meaning the protected will never know. I began to learn that what was happening in me was more important than what happened to me because I was beginning to learn of my need for something greater in my life than all that I had or all that I was. I was learning that in order to face death, I needed something that was more real than me. And it was like I had this conversation with God and he was saying, Gary, you're the master of your fate. You're the captain of your soul. Can you handle this, Gary? Are you ready to die? When you have that conversation with God, it's an eye-opener. It really gets your attention. Are you ready to die? Because it's only a blink away. One more time when you go unconscious, Gary, that may be it. People often ask, what's the worst sounds of the battle? The B-52 strikes, the gunships? You know what's the worst sounds of battle? Are those silent nights in an ICU ward where all you hear is the labored breathing of somebody when what you hear is their last breaths. 
And then you don't hear them breathe anymore. And you hear the sound of a white sheet going over their head as they surrender. That's the scariest sounds. And that was the battle that I was fighting. One of the times that I came to, a chaplain was there. And he said, son, I'm glad to see you're awake. I said, sir, I'm glad to be awake. (laughs) It's much better than where I was just at. And he said, would you like to pray? I said, sir, I don't know how to pray. I don't even know who to pray to. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. Who do I pray to? He said, that's okay, son. God knows how to listen. And I said a very simple prayer because, as I said, life had a meaning to me now that I needed something outside of myself. I needed something greater. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know who it was. But here comes this guy and he says, do you want to pray to God? He knows how to listen. My simple prayer. God, if you're real, I need you. There's a quote by an English lady, Maud Royden is her name, that she said that when you have nothing left but God, then for the first time you become aware that he is all you need. I had nothing left. There was nothing in me. What was happening in me was that everything died. All that I was, all that I had, all that I believed in, all that I had trusted in, all, had that, all that had brought me success, all that was dead. So my simple prayer was from an empty shell, but a heart that needed something. And I said, God, if you are real, I need you. Something happened at that moment. All of a sudden, the chaos that I was feeling left, and there was a peace that came over me, a calmness, an awareness that there was something that just heard my prayer. No, I didn't miraculously heal and start pulling out all the tubes and running around and going, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. No, there was something much better than that, a healing that took place here. My fear was gone. It was replaced by a sense that there was something greater than death, something that was real, something that could care for me, something that could reach beyond wherever I am and touch me and change what was happening in me and change that into a peace, into a calmness, into a sense of it's going to be okay because something greater than death cares for me. That chaplain opened the door to my realization that God was real and more importantly, that God cared for me. My journey began to take a change of direction. But it wasn't the end of my journey. You see, because knowing that there's a God is not the same as knowing God. And I wanted to know God. I wanted to know whoever, whatever that was that was able to reach across and touch me and change what was going on in my life, that was able to give me peace in the midst of my death. I wanted to know him. So I began my journey of trying to find God. And I was in Massachusetts with a friend and I was sharing with him my experience and he said, do you value our friendship, Gary? I said, sure, I do. He said, do me a favor read this book. And he handed me a New Testament. 
So I started reading Matthew, Mark. I remember going up to him one day and I said, hey, Buck, what kind of book is this? It's the same story, you know. He goes, just keep reading, Gary, just keep reading. (laughs) Got through Luke, got to John, got to the 14th chapter of John, and I read something that changed my life, another one of those moments, because I read, let not your heart be troubled, Gary. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, don't you? I said, yeah, I believe in God. I was surprised to see my name there, too, you know. Surprised that God knew my name. But he said, you believe in God, don't you? I said, yes, I do. I met him in a hospital bed in Vietnam. He said, if you believe in God, then believe also in me, Gary. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can come to the Father but through me and by me, Gary. I've made a way possible for you to know God personally. Just as the Father has loved me, Gary, that's how much I have loved you. He said that in the ninth verse, John 15. And then in John 13, he says, Gary, there's no greater love than a man can give to another than to lay down his life for his friends. Gary, I laid down my life for you. And I've chosen you. I've got a plan for you, Gary. July 2nd, 1972, at 3 o'clock in the morning in the back of a camper, I knelt down and accepted Jesus as my Savior. My life began to change. But again, that's not the end of the story. You see, because like many who come back from war, and especially from them who returned from Vietnam, Vietnam challenged who I was. Vietnam challenged what I believed in. War changes people. But my homecoming almost destroyed me. I was spit on, called a lot of names. I knew I was different. And I knew life was different for me. I couldn't manage my feelings anymore. I didn't have any feelings and I was afraid of my anger. I didn't like like the guilt that I was feeling. So what I decided to do was just shut myself down. I'm not going to feel anything. If I don't feel anything, people can't bother me. And they won't have, I won't have to worry about how I'm going to react to that person. But it became very, very difficult. That's why I sought the security and the safety and the solitude of a cave in New Hampshire. I know what I'll do. I'll go to a cave and I'll live in the woods. I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to learn about God. Two years I stayed in the cave. And God began to do a work in my life. You see, I knew God had forgiven me, but I had not yet forgiven myself. And I couldn't, I could not possibly see how anybody who knew me and who knew the things that I had done in Vietnam could ever forgive me. They would be abhorred by knowing or seeing what war does to people and what people have to do in war. That's why I sought the solitude and the safety of a cave because I didn't think I could live among other people. Living with God, I could do that. But I began to think about that, to really live you must almost die. I began to think about that those who fight for it, life has a new meaning. And I continued to fight, I continued to search the scriptures, I continued to find a meaning to my life. And I was beginning to be changed by Christ. I began to become a new creature. Anger and the guilt seemed to be going away, replaced by an ability to love myself, at least. I really began to make progress, but I still felt 
well, this cave is pretty cool. You know, I could live here forever. You know, don't have to deal with people. But then I remember reading in John 15 where God said, Gary, I've chosen you. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for you. So in September of 1973, I said, okay, God, I've been here for about a year. I'm learning an awful lot. And I remember what it was like on that hospital bed and how they didn't have anything and I just, and you came to my life. At this point, God, I want only what you want for my life. Whatever your plan is, Lord, I give myself totally to you. Whatever you want is what I want. That was in September of 1973. Two weeks later, I was notified that I was being awarded the Medal of Honor. Two weeks after I gave myself completely and totally my will to myself, two weeks after I did that, God gave me the Medal of Honor. I thought my battles were over, but all of a sudden I started battling again. The guilt came back. The feelings of unworthiness. Those things that I had been spent two years or a year trying to forget, all of a sudden came back into my life and I started battling them again. But this time I really sought the comfort of the scripture. And I found a verse in Psalm 49, verse 20. And that verse says, Gary, man that has an honor but doesn't understand is like a beast that perishes. So Gary, I want you to understand something about honor. I said, okay, I guess I've got a lot to learn, God, don't I? Yeah, you do have a lot to learn, Gary. You've got a lot about life to learn because life is going to take on a new meaning for you. And I want you to know something else about life, Gary. I want you to know that in life, there's a big difference between success and significance. And he led me to Jeremiah 9. And in Jeremiah 9, verse 23... Jeremiah said, don't let the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man glory in his might or his power that he's been given. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. But if you want to glory, glory in this, that you know me. God began to teach me that in life, there's a big difference between success and significance. And he said, Gary, for you, I want you to have a life of significance. I want you to understand honor. I want you to understand what this medal means. I want you to understand that this medal is not about you, Gary. It's about me and about what I've done in your life, Gary. I want you to understand the difference between success in life and significance. I want you to come out of the cave and I want you to begin to live a life of significance. I want you to wear the medal, but I want you to wear it for my honor, Gary. I want you to wear it for what I have done. So for 40 years, I've worn this honor for him, for his honor, and for what he has done. You see, because it's only by his grace that I was able to survive those battles. 
It's only by his forgiveness that I've been able to live with myself these 40 years and live with others. So for 40 years, I've worn this for his honor. And for 40 years, I, live, I have lived knowing that there is a difference between success in life and significance. Significance in life. will never be achieved without Jesus in your life. Significance in life comes when you become part of his plan. And that's what God said to me in that second conversation in the cave, the other resting place. He said, Gary, I've got a plan and I want you to be part of it. I want you to live life for my honor and I want you to live a life of significance and significance will come as you turn your story into my story, Gary. So for 40 years, I've worn this medal for his honor. And for 40 years, I've told my story, my journey. But really, it's his story. Because it's only through him that I have achieved any kind of significance. I've learned that no matter what success you achieve in life, no matter what riches, power, position, prestige that may bless your life. There will never be any significance until you become part of God's plan for your life. Until you let your story become his story. There is a big difference between significance and success in life. Just as my journey and I found the Marriott sign instead of the hotel. Success is finding the sign. <laughs> Significance is finding the hotel. <laughs> My journey, I have found the hotel. I've become a part of God's plan. And there's a tremendous joy in that. There's significance in knowing that every moment of every day, I am where I am at the right moment at the right time because it's God's plan for me. That's a tremendous joy. Let me close with this quote again. That it is God to whom and with whom we travel. He is on our journey. He's the goal of our journey. He's the end of our journey. And while he is the end of the journey, he's also at every stopping place. I've shared my journey and the role of God in my life. I don't know where you are on your journey. You know, maybe you feel you're on the road to success. Maybe you feel you're going the right way. As I said, sometimes we use success as a marker to encourage us to let us know that, hey, we're going in the right direction. Maybe you feel you are the captain of your soul, the master of your own fate. Maybe you're traveling on your journey alone. Do you know that God is at the end of that journey? And he will ask you, are you ready? I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Do you know him? Do you know that he is the end of your journey? Maybe on your journey, you know, you're discouraged. Maybe you're broken down. Maybe you've run out of gas. 
Did you know he's with us every step of the way? My life verse now is Nahum 1.3. Small little verse stuck in a small little book. But that verse says that God has his ways in the whirlwinds and in the storms. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. For 40 years I've walked with God and he's added significance to my life as I've learned to listen to him and walk with him. I've walked through many storms. I've had many clouds in my life. But through those clouds, he's been my guide when I couldn't see. He's been my help when I thought I had to give up. He's been my hope when I thought that all I had inside me was despair. And he's been my friend when I've been alone. Did you know that God is at every resting place? He walks with you every step. He's waiting to have conversation with you. He's waiting to give you the help and encouragement that you need on your journey. I want you to know that help is only a simple prayer away. Is today a day that you need to say something to God? He knows how to listen. I can verify that for you. Or is today the day he's trying to say something to you? May I ask you to, to close with me in a simple prayer? We'll just spend a moment in quietness and I'd ask you to listen to see if God is saying something to you about life, about your journey. And I would encourage you on your journey to realize that life has a different meaning to those of us that walk with God. And that what happens in us in this life is more important than what happens to us. Because what's happening in us is that we become to realize that he must increase, I must decrease. He wants us to realize that in our journey that there's a big difference between being successful in life and being significant. So don't glory in your wisdom. Don't glory in your might. Don't glory in the riches that may have blessed your life. But glory in the fact that you know God and you are part of his life and part of his plan. Close with me in a word of prayer and listen to see if there's something he may be saying to you. Father, at this time, we do just take this moment of silence and ask you to speak to us. In the silence of our heart, Lord, maybe we are asking you to help because we need you. And we ask these things knowing that you hear because you love us. Thank you, Lord, for listening. Amen.